This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. Acts chapter 11, if you have your Bible. I've been a part of this church here since 1991, January of 91. I'm going on 23 years. I was 11 years old. I was the youngest pastor in America. And as I stand on the vantage point of those 23 years, I can say that I have seen over the, 23 years is a long time. I can say that the church, and I think this is true of any church, goes through seasons, just like the year does. The calendar year goes through seasons. The church does as well. And this year, uh, 2013, has been a season of, of change for us. And most of us here in Nagset Church welcome this season. It's been like springtime, if you will, after three years that we have, went, we went through a season of about three years where we struggled in a lot of different ways. And in my old advanced age, the season God has brought me in this year and brought us in this year as a church has been exciting to see, has encouraged me about the things that he has for us in the future. And in many ways we have and are entering into, uh, we, we believe, we hope and pray, at Nags Head Church, a new era. As we've studied the book of Acts, and for our guests, we're going through looking at the first churches in the book of Acts and calling it that church, learning from them. We've seen that there's always been God's way of working among the church, and that as God takes them from step to step in the early church, changes are happening over and over and over. New things are being ushered in, if you will, to the church, and changes have to happen. Otherwise, if changes don't happen, the church gets old and stale and eventually dies. Chapter 11, where we are today, gives us three distinct signs, if you will, that the first church, that church, was in the center of God's will for them. Follow along with me while I read, starting out the, verse, the first 18 verses of chapter 11 in Acts. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea have heard that the Gentiles had welcomed God's message also. What happened with Peter and Cornelius? When Peter went up to Jerusalem, those who stressed circumcision, those who said, before you can become a Christian, you got to become a Jew, all right? That's how they were thinking. They didn't understand this new covenant. They argued with Peter, saying, you visited uncircumcised men and ate with them. You went into the home of a Gentile and ate at his table. For a kosher Jew, that was forbidden. And they argued with Peter. So Peter began to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, well, let me tell you what happened. I was in the town of Joppa praying. I saw in a, I saw in a visionary state an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven, and it came to me. And when I looked closely and considered it, saw what was on it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, the birds of the sky. And then I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said, for nothing common or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, what God has made clean 
you must not call common. And this happened three times. And then everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea, Cornelius had had a visit from an angel that said, send some people to Caesarea, or to Joppa, and get Peter and bring him here. So these men arrived at the house where we were. Then the Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. Why would he have doubts? Because they're saying, we want you to come to Cornelius' home, and he's a Gentile, and Peter is thinking, I don't do that. No doubts at all, Peter. These six brothers, he took some brothers with him. As Peter told us last week, he took some witnesses with him. These six brothers accompanied me. And he's standing before these leaders in the Jerusalem church. He's explaining all this. He said, these six guys were with me. And we went into the man's house, and he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house saying, send a Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter, and he will speak a message to you that you and all your household will be saved by. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. He said, just as we were at the day of Pentecost, he said, the same thing happened in Caesarea. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, Jesus. He remembered what, 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 uh, what, what Jesus had said. John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. His conclusion is this. Verse 17, therefore, if God gave him the same gift that he gave to us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? Who was I to say, no, God, we're not going to let this happen? Who was I to argue with God? Who was I to say, no, God, these people don't deserve the same salvation you've given us Jews? And when they heard this, the people in the church of Jerusalem, Peter's done talking. When they heard this, they became silent for a moment because it says, then they glorify God saying, so God has repented, has granted repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. If you're taking notes, first point in your notes this morning is this, opposition, change might, excuse me, change might bring opposition from within. Here's a big change. He's going back to the mother church, if you will, and he said, here's what happened. Some people didn't like it. But let me tell you what happened and how it happened. They weren't talking about changing musical styles in worship. It wasn't about adding a Saturday night service. It wasn't about dropping Sunday school and adding small groups as so many churches change things like that these days, and there is opposition This was a major shift for the Jewish believers, welcoming Gentiles into the church. And their initial reaction, and these are good people now, these are godly people in Jerusalem, their initial reaction was to be opposed to this. But opposition, where does it come from? You know where opposition often comes from? It comes out of ignorance. And nobody who is critical or is opposing wants to admit I'm ignorant because to admit I'm ignorant is really admitting what? I'm not so smart. Ignorance about some things. And these guys, they didn't know what happened. Ignorance, not knowing or failing to grasp the truth that initiates change. It's a frightening word, change. 
was 2,000 years ago, still is today in the church. You've heard the story, the joke, the punchline, the question. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer, change. You Baptists, that'll sink in, you know. What are you talking about? Yet the gospel of Jesus, if we could describe it with one word, if we could describe the gospel with one word, that one word might be transforming. Transformational, changing. And Jesus knew. He knew. And this, was, this applies to just about everybody in this room. He knew that our human nature is to push back against change. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, <coughs> no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. You know why? If, if it's, the garment's old, it's already done all the shrinking it's going to do. And, and if you, you put a patch on it with a piece of new cloth, that new cloth is going to shrink. And as Jesus says, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Wineskins were made out of, of goat hide, and they would stretch out. And once they're stretched out as far as they'll stretch, he said you can't put new wine in those because if you do, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. New wine is for fresh wineskins. These Jerusalem brothers here at the church, they were stuck in a tradition that the gospel of Jesus had replaced. They still believed that Jews were God's chosen people and only the Jews could receive salvation. They held that salvation was a Jewish national treasure not open to anyone else. There's nothing wrong with having traditions until they become more important than the changes that God wants to make. And we often will fight something new because it replaces what we have taken ownership over. I told, I've told you the story about we just ran out of room in our old church building on our stage for our the band was growing, and we had this great big oaken pulpit that occupied the center place on the stage. And we didn't have, it wasn't much bigger than this right here. And, uh, and so one Sunday, I said, we've got to have some more room. So I got rid of the old oaken pulpit, and I put up a little stand like this. And this dear saintly sister of the brethren, she came in the back door that morning to come to worship, and she looked up and she saw this stand, this little stand, and all of a sudden her countenance changed. There was fire in her eyes. And I was standing up there before everything began, just kind of getting some things ready. She walked right up to me, and she looked at me, and she said, What have you done with my pulpit? See, she had taken ownership over something that really wasn't hers to take ownership over. She wasn't welcome to that simple little item of change. She was all bent out of shape because the furniture changed. And women like to change furniture around all the time. I don't get it. <laughs> That's what Peter explained to them. This was a God thing that was happening. And he, Peter said, and I was the most surprised of all. As a healthy church, Nags Head Church, 
we, here's what we've got to do. We must find the will of God, which may surprise us, which may make us feel uncomfortable, and then carry it out. God's, what, what is your will and how do we do it? When God's people are genuinely open to God's work, however he wants to do it, they have the spiritual eyes to see and the spiritual ears to hear. They become flexible enough to adopt and to adapt to the changes God desires to bring. You know, being hardcore about doctrine is a good thing, about what we believe, about what the Bible says. That's a good thing. Being flexible about how God wants to work that doctrine into the world in which we live is a good thing as well. Second point this morning, persecution might cause expansion. Verse 19, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen, Stephen was martyred, Paul, or then known as Saul, began this persecution throughout the region, and the Christians scattered, they spread, they hid. Those who had been scattered because of the persecution made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Jerusalem's down here, Cyprus uh, is over here in the Mediterranean, and Antioch is, up, is in Syria. You know where Syria is, perhaps. They spread, speaking the message to no one except Jews. They would not tell anybody the gospel except Jewish people. They had not heard what happened with Cornelius yet. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, those from Cyprus, from that island, those from Cyrene, which is... Uh, in in modern-day Libya, on the northern coast of Africa, who came to Antioch in Syria and began speaking to the Hellenists, to to the Greeks, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. They began telling non-Jews, Greek-speaking Gentiles, about Jesus, proclaiming the gospel about him. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Then the report about them was heard by the church that was at Jerusalem. Somebody came down to Jerusalem and said, hey, you need to hear what's happening up in Antioch. There are people preaching Christ to those Greeks up there, and tons of them are becoming Christians. Well, we need to check that out. So they sent Barnabas to travel. Remember Barnabas? We've met him a couple of times. Barnabas who sold his property and gave the proceeds to the church to help feed the poor. Barnabas who when Saul came to Jerusalem after being converted on the road to Damascus, Barnabas was the only one who would befriend him. And he said, let me introduce you to the apostles. Guys, Saul is okay. He's one of us. Barnabas, what a great guy. The son of encouragement is what his name means. They sent him to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. He saw these Gentiles who were now Christians, and he got excited about it. He was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with a firm resolve of the heart, because it's not going to be easy for you people to follow this Jewish Messiah who was executed as a criminal on the cross. People are going to make fun of you because of that. So encourage them. Stay true. And then he went to Tarsus. He looked around. He saw this multitude of new Christians. He said, we need to do this. We've got to teach them. We've got to shepherd them. I can't do this by myself. 
So he goes to the island, to, not to the island, but to the city of Tarsus in southern Asia Minor, where Saul has gone when he left, fled Jerusalem because there was an assassination plot set out for him. He went back to his home of Tarsus. Barnabas says, I'm going to go find him. I mean, he's the guy, he's a genius in the Bible. He knows the Old Testament inside and out. He'll help me, I know. So he goes to Tarsus, finds Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. And I love this last sentence. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. What a great city this was. What a great church this became. Remember that Jesus had set up his strategy to reach the world in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember what he said there? He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, which he did in in Acts chapter 2. And you will be my witnesses in, number one, here's our strategy, in Jerusalem. Secondly, in Judea, the area right around Judea. Then thirdly, in Samaria, which is even farther out from Jerusalem. And then uh, eventually to number four, to the end of the earth. The persecution, they couldn't understand this at first, but the persecution that sent them scattering was part of the strategy. This is how we're going to reach the world. Sometimes, here's the point for you, sometimes God uses means of moving us into his plan that at first we don't understand. God, why this? Why now? Why me? In fact, if we're not careful, we'll complain to God because we can't see the purpose for our lives being disrupted. Because when my life is disrupted, here's what that means. God, you disrupted my plans for me. God, I had this all planned out. And look what you've caused to, look what you've allowed to happen. I don't get it. But we believe that God is sovereign in control always, and he's bigger than us, and he can see the big picture that you and I cannot. He knows the beginning from the end, and all we know, really, is right now. We don't know 10 minutes from now, do we? Not really. We know right now. The first church in Jerusalem was born on the day of Pentecost. The second church was born in Antioch as a result of persecuted Christians having to run for their lives to that city. Persecution had been promised by Jesus. He knew it would come on his followers, but he also knew it would not crush or silence the church. And so he told them, John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. I mean, that's good news to me. When things get really miserable, when things get really tough, when I look around this country and I see we're, that we're going to hell in a handbasket faster than I ever thought possible, I'm always reminded Jesus has overcome the world. I'm always reminded I will pray today, Lord, your kingdom come. And he, it's going to happen. He's overcome the world. Don't forget that. He told these guys, these disciples there in John 16, he's got his 11 left faithful disciples, and he told them all the powers of Satan and hell are not going to stop the church. They can't stop Christ. Now listen very carefully to me. I don't want to offend anybody, but I, want, but I don't care if you're offended by this. I want you to hear it. If you belong to Christ, you belong to a family stronger than any political or religious power on earth. 
And while it might not be, you might not be comfortable because of your faith and how others react to it, God may move you to where you can reach out to those who need him. Scattered they were, fleeing their homes. But it was part of God's plan. It was here in Antioch that the Christians, the followers of Christ, were first called Christians. And, and please understand, when that, first, that term first came out, it wasn't given to them as a compliment. Oh, you're just like Jesus, and we like Jesus. It was a slur. It was a slam. They were looked down by the Jewish establishment. They worshipped a Messiah who had been hung on a criminal's cross. By, by the way, what is the word, the, the, the Greek Christians, what does that mean? It means little Christs. But the name stuck, and today we look back we can look back 2,000 years on, on these believers in the Syrian city of Antioch, a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and we know these people were our spiritual grandparents. We're called Christians today. It started there. But I wonder if we deserve to be called little Christs. My tendency, and maybe yours, is to get bent out of shape as we see one by one our religious liberties being stripped away by our government. And I get angry about it. Do you? Get ticked off. And we may even become defiant about it. But please hear me. Jesus never promised us that we could live in a country where he is Lord and where the ruling powers would acknowledge him as God. Do you find that anywhere in Scripture? No. They didn't. He doesn't promise that to any of us. Quite the opposite. He said, wherever you are, you can expect persecution. Yet we act. We act as though the power of God is dependent upon our U.S. Constitution. It is not. And that better sink into us. The power of God, the power of the gospel is dependent on someone far more powerful than the president then the Congress, then the Supreme Court all rolled into one. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Perhaps the Christian church in America will be its strongest one day when we have been stripped of all our protections by law and when we will truly have to live as little Christs. Who knows? I don't, but we need to be strong and we need to be ready. The Apostle Paul knew a lot about persecution. He knew a lot about living out Christ's life under a government that would criminalize being a Christian. He lived that life. He lived in that world. And he wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 10. He said, for although we are walking in the flesh, we do not wage war in a fleshly way. We don't fight fire with fire. Since the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, our weapons, he says, are greater than anything we could come up with on our own. I've read recently in the news, maybe you've seen this as well, that the prediction is that soon Christianity will be extinct in the Middle East, that the Christians are being run out of that part of the world by the Islamists 
And you know, that, that may be true. Maybe they made, it may be a, a cleansing of all Christians in that part of the world. But you know what? If they move out, they go somewhere else. And wherever it is that they go, they're going to share the gospel. They're going to live as Christians, just as these people did. See, our citizenship church is not in this world. So it, Jay and Alicia can appreciate this. It does not matter where on earth we live. What matters is that wherever we are, our lives identify us with Christ. That's what matters. Last point this morning, hard times should be met with compassion. Verse 27. And in those days some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then one of them named Agabus stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the time of Claudius. He gives the, it's great, Luke says, and here's when it happened, and he gives the name of the Roman emperor who was in rule and reigning then, so we have some historical context. And so each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers who lived in Judea, and they did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. Prophets came up to Antioch. Prophets were men and women who, by direct revelation, perhaps a vision or a dream, spoke for God. They were his mouthpiece. Sometimes the prophets spoke warnings. Sometimes the prophets spoke instruction. Other times they told future events. They weren't pastors, but they had the gift of telling forth God's word. And much of what the prophets were given by God was written down, and we have it in Scripture, especially the prophets of the Old Testament. Peter would write, he said, and we have something more sure. We have the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, Christ comes, the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, if it's, someone just comes up with this in their own head, it's not from God. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we got the Scriptures. And so we have prophetic Scripture in the New Testament as well, especially, how many of you are reading the book of Revelation this week? especially in the book of Revelation. And now we have the completed word of God. We've got, every, we've got all of God's revelation right here between, as Peter said last week, in our flat scroll. <laughs> we've got it all right here. And we can rest confident that it contains God's will for us today. In the time that this was written, in Acts 11, none of the New Testament had yet been written. So as God had done in the Old Testament and through John the Baptists, a prophet, and through Jesus, who prophesied, God spoke through them when needed. And these prophets came to Jerusalem from to Antioch, presumably to help out Barnabas and Saul in teaching the baby church there. And one of them, a prophet by the name of Agabus, foretold a coming famine. Luke tells us it was during the time of Claudius Caesar, who ruled the empire from 41 to 54. You may not know heard of him so much, but his son-in-law was a guy by the name of Nero, and his nephew was a man by the name of Caligula. Hearing that there was going to be a famine coming 
the believers, they heard this famine was going to come. They gathered together and they decided to be proactive and help the church in Jerusalem get prepared. So they took up an offering. Several things I noticed about this. There was, first of all, a spontaneous response to the need. They heard of the need. There's going to be a famine. And just kind of led by the Spirit of God, they responded to the Spirit's prompting to give. We've got a video to show you right now how that happens in Nags Head Church. Let's watch this. Here's how we're going to close out this gathering today. I've got three more points. Go to Facebook today and later on this evening, and I'll have them there for you. Nags Head Church on Facebook. I'll post them there for you. If you we're not going to sing, Nate, so nope. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, Maria told me when I heard this story, Leah came up to me and said, I've got 12 shoe boxes. I've been doing one a month. And I want That's incredible. And she's got... You know, they, they asked for about $7 to help pay the cost of processing and shipping these boxes to get them wherever they are. She said, I can't. This girl's 11 years old. She doesn't have the money to do that. So she's got one month taken care of. That leaves 7 times 11, $77. Here's what I want to do before we leave. I want 11 people, I don't care who you are, right now that you've got $7 in your wallet, in your pocket, in your purse. I want you to get it out and bring it right here. Right now, just get seven bucks out, bring it up here, put it on this table, and Leah's going to come and get it and put it in all of her shoe boxes. Seven bucks. If you don't have change, I don't either. I think we've got more than seven people that have brought, or 11 people that have come up. I don't want to stop you, but go right ahead. Because if this is what God's leading you to do, uh, all of this will go to Samaritan's Purse, whether through Leah's 11 boxes or in a check of some kind. But four, four, if that's all you got, that works. All right. Oh, there's more. I think it's covered, Mantises, okay? Um, I think uh, that's happened. Isn't that great? It's amazing to me how God uses our kids to teach us, doesn't he? This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.